Open your Bibles with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll start reading in verse 1. Paul and Silvanus, Silvanus is Silas, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer. Seeing it as a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, and from the glory of His power, when He shall come to be glorified in His saints, and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of His calling, and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness, and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, and ye in Him according to the grace of our God, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us as we study your word tonight. And Lord, this is such a profitable text. So Lord, I pray that we will learn what you would have for us tonight, apply it to our lives and take it with us. And Lord, we're so thankful for your goodness that we can come to you and that whatever you have planned for our lives will be good. Lord, we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Aren't you glad that God is good? Amen. Tonight I want to talk about developing godly leadership. Developing godly leadership. And we find that here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And we mentioned this morning what's going on. 1 Thessalonians was written shortly after Paul's visit there. Then he started hearing that there was trouble. Look with me in chapter 2 and verse 2. That you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as that the day of Christ is at hand. All right, so apparently people, someone had been teaching, someone had written them a letter as if it had come from the Apostle Paul. Isn't it amazing how Satan tries to undermine the faith of his people? How? By counterfeiting the Word of God. Over and over and over again we see that. So the purpose of Second Thessalonians is this. Don't be deceived in the last days. Don't be deceived. You've got to know what the truth is, and we know that from the Word of God. And what we see in this context, in chapter 1, is how to develop leadership in adversity. Now, we see the adversity. We saw that this morning. They're in tribulation. They're in persecution. So the first thing that we see is relationships in adversity. Relationships in adversity. You know, sometimes, especially when things are going hard, it's hard to go it alone. We need brothers and sisters in Christ in the work of the Lord. 
Aren't you glad that God's plan isn't for one person to serve God? It's for a church to serve God. You know, there are people that try and serve God and they, they study their Bible and they live the Christian life. They do everything they can, but they don't believe in coming to church. How many of you know people that are like that? Somebody was just telling me about somebody like that just this week. A, a, a strong believer that just don't believe in church. You know what those people are doing? They're serving God. Well, first of all, in disobedience because they're commanded to come together. But secondly, all by themselves. They have no help. That's not God's plan. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus under the church of the Thessalonians. Biblical leaders develop as part of a team and cannot develop except as part of a team. When Jesus Christ sent the disciples out, how did he send them out? Two by two. You're not alone in ministry. That's why discipleship is so wonderful. It's so awesome to have a, a, a more mature believer put together with a less mature believer, and those two grow together in the Lord. And they grow together until the Lord comes back. I mean, that is just such an awesome thing. That's God's plan, is for us to be together, for us to work in tandem, to work in teams. That's what the ministry is. This is one of the many divine paradoxes in Scripture. Biblical leaders cannot develop except as part of a team. Here's the idea. If you want to save your life, what do you have to do? You have to lose your life. You have to lose your life. And how do you lose your life? In the ministry of the New Testament church, it's setting aside your desires for the desires of the Lord Jesus Christ in that place. You die to self, you jump in, you become a part of the team, part of the purpose, walking orderly, until the day of Christ. Well, let's, let's get this idea of walking orderly by the opposite. Look at what the Bible says in chapter in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And look at verse 11. Wherefore, comfort yourselves, how? Together. And edify what? One another. Are we all there? Let's go back. There, there were 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Now, let me tell you something. Those verses right there, Grace Baptist Church is great at that. You'll treat me and Pastor Nathan so well. You treat us with great respect. It's wonderful. And it's, it's look at what it says. Uh, and be at peace among yourselves. I don't know of another church in America that has the peace that Grace Baptist Church does. We don't have trouble. Isn't that wonderful? Now, somebody might be superstitious back there. Knock on wood. We're not suspicious here. We're trying to be like Christ. Amen. God is so good, and you all are so good at this, comforting yourselves together, edifying one another, uh, and then remembering those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. Now look at verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, people that don't get with the program. That, 
That's the, get, they get away from the oneness that we have in Christ, from the purpose of the New Testament church. What's the purpose of the New Testament church? Glorify God by making disciples. That's about it. Amen? And we do that at all stages of ministry, whether it's in the children's ministry or whether it's in our formal discipleship ministry. That's what the purpose of the New Testament church is. Bring glory to Christ, make disciples. Bring glory to Christ, make disciples. Send people out to bring glory to Christ and make disciples. That's what we're here to do. And Grace Baptist Church is accomplishing that. Praise the Lord for that. Now, relationships and adversity. Leaders develop as part of a team. You will never be a biblical leader until you learn to work as part of, as part of a team. Now, think about this. Moses and Aaron. Isn't that right? Joshua and Caleb. When you think about even David, David had his mighty men. And when did he mess up? When the soldiers went out and he stayed back alone. See, God's plan, God's plan is for us to be together. God's plan is for us to serve together. The pastor, like everyone else, will not accomplish this work alone. It will happen as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to work together as a team to win our city to God. You might be sitting out there thinking, wait a minute, there's no team in I. That's the problem. Amen? See, we no, no team and I get it. I'm by myself unless you're schizophrenic. <laughs> We've got to work as a team. We must work as a team. And we have to honor those that labor among us. You know, I think about our Awana ministry. And Doug was talking. Somebody asked Doug if he had seen Hannity or something like that. And Doug said, well, lately all I've had time to do is go to work and come home and work on Awana. Go to work and come home and work on Awana. Aren't you glad he works on Awana? Amen. Doug, come up here for a minute. I want you to know that we appreciate your labor. Those children that come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, that have the Word of God in them to protect them from evil, that's because of your labor along with the other laborers, but you leading those laborers yep. as a team. Without them, we can't do it either. But as a team, right? Yep, that's right. But every team has to have a leader. Absolutely. Amen. And I want you to have this Bible because we appreciate you so much. Amen? Thank you. Amen. See, we're a team. We can't do this by ourselves. We have to come together and we have to support the leaders of our ministries as they run with it. Somebody asked me the other day at one of my meetings, so how does that want to work? I don't have any idea. I'll tell you how it works. Uh, Ed Bermond trained Doug Schmidtmeyer, and they run it, and people help. And then I teach the Bible study. Amen? Do you understand that that's how the ministry is supposed to work? Godly men hand things over to other... They trained other godly men to serve God. Now, I understand. I don't know if this is true or not. But I understand that the only reason that Ed discipled Doug 
was to get rid of Awana. Is that true? <laughs> but it's such an important thing for us to have. Ministry, we have to work together in ministry. So that's relationships in ministry. Teamwork will never happen, though. Look at what it takes for there to be teamwork, for it to work properly. Look at verse 2. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way any of us can work together is by grace. Have you noticed that there's not a lot of wallflowers at Grace Baptist Church? You know, you know what I mean? The, the leadership that we have here, they're all strong, opinionated people. How do strong, opinionated people work together? By dying to self in grace. Amen? That's the only way that it can work. And what's so wonderful is we rarely have conflict. And I wish it was that same way at home. <laughs> grace unto you... Look at the next thing that happens from grace, though, and peace, and peace. The, the way that teams work together, have you ever heard this? They're, they have a divided locker room. And what usually happens in a team that has a divided locker room? They don't win. They don't win. And I got to tell you, what we're doing here is way more important than a football game. It's way more important than a baseball game or a basketball game. This is determining the future of people's souls. Amen? And at the least, determining the future of our children, at the very least, let alone the outside community. And that's where we need the grace of God and the peace that comes from that. And that's what the Apostle Paul had with him, Timothy, with he, Timothy, and Silas. With him, which one is it? Him, Timothy, and Silas, or he, Timothy, and Silas? Come on, one of you teachers, help me out. I'm struggling. Him. Okay, thank you. We have to have that. And the Apostle Paul had that. Now, let me, let me throw something at you here. The Apostle Paul was probably the most gifted teacher in history. Greatest church planter. The most significant church planter because he was the first one. Think about that. And he didn't believe that he should do it alone. God sent people alongside him to help him to accomplish the work. What a blessing that is. Teamwork, leadership, it comes together. Grace only comes before peace, or grace always comes before peace. And no one naturally wants to be a team player. We're naturally selfish. We've got to come together. All right, so the first thing that we saw was relationships in adversity. But then we see something else in the next verses, and that's our response in adversity. What do we do? And look at what it says in verse 3. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. So what do they have? They have faith and they have charity. They're growing in this in the adversity. So growth, leaders must grow in these three areas that are identified. There's three areas identified, faith, Charity, and then look at the next verse in verse 4. So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith. So we have faith, charity, and patience. So where does faith come from? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It ties back to what we were talking about this morning. If we're going to grow in the Lord together, 
if we're going to raise godly leadership in this church, and you understand that that never ends, right? Developing godly leadership, that's got to continue. If we're going to do that, we as leaders, those of us who are leading, we have to grow in faith. And that faith only grows as we're in the Word of God. The more that we believe, read it, study it, believe it, and grow in it, just like we said this morning, then it effectually works in us. Then, charity. Remember, so somebody tell me, what is charity? Love that gives. Love that gives. And what was striking about this church was that at Thessalonica was that during this tribulation, during this persecution, they gave more. They gave more to each other. They invested in each other. They, they didn't just say, hey, I love you, brother. They were with him, side by side, meeting needs. And those are the kind of leaders that we need at Grace Baptist Church. Loving each other, helping each other, supporting each other, growing together. That's got to be the way it is. In adversity, in hard times, we grow in faith and in charity. Love that gives. Then in patience. Let's look at, let's look at what the Bible says about patience briefly. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, let me just stop right there. Uh, there was a guy that used to come to Bible college and preach this same message over and over again. And he'd put on track shoes about running our race because... You know, grandma's up in heaven watching us. Now, if grandma's in heaven, she's not looking at you. She's looking at Jesus. Amen? Have you ever heard somebody say this? Boy, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jesus. No, you're not. You're going to fall on your face. Amen? All that stuff is going to be forgotten. What this is talking about, wherefore seeing, we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses... That's talking about all of these people who were witnesses and are identified in Hebrews chapter 11. That, that great hall of faith. So, let's read on. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run, what? With patience. The race that is set before us. Well, how are we going to do that? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, our patience is demonstrated in the way we run. This morning we talked about walking worthy. Being patient, that's how you endure the hardness of this world, looking for his return. Not as you huddle in the corner, but as you work with the other believers, with your partners in ministry, moving ahead for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what happens when leaders grow. That's the proper response in adversity. Faith, charity, and patience. Then, look with me at verse 5. Verse 5. Reflection. In adversity. Let's, we're back in Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 1. There's only one way for a leader to be count, counted worthy. Look at verse 5. 
these middle of verse 4, your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer. There's only one way for a leader to be counted worthy, and that's to exhibit faith, charity, and patience in adversity. That's it. That's how we're counted worthy. By demonstrating those things, by exhibiting those things. Look at verse 11. Wherefore also, we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith with power. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2.12. We looked at this this morning. Remember, He exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. Verse 12. That ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto His kingdom and glory. Now, here's the deal. This is not a guilt trip. That's not put there to make you feel guilty. It's setting the bar for you. It's telling you what's expected. Uh, Dave McCracken, when I was leaving there to come here, he said, what was it like working here at Bible Baptist in Stillwater? I said, it was terrible. And he started laughing. He said, why was it terrible? I didn't have any idea what my job was for the first six months that I was there. Now, knowing Brother McCracken, how many of you that surprises you? No. I didn't know what my job was. So I just dove in and started ministering and waited until I did something wrong to be corrected. I didn't know. What this is doing is this is setting the bar for us. It's telling us what is expected. When trouble comes, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to exhibit growth in faith, charity, and patience. So now here's the question. How are you doing? How are you doing? And all of us will have to answer one of those three differently, I would imagine, based on our personality and our giftedness. But God has set the bar for us. Now, tribulation in our lives is just a token of the tribulation that's to come. Uh, hold your place here and look at Romans chapter 1. Verse 20. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. What we have here is the Bible is telling us that what's going on here on earth, the physical creation, is a testimony of what's going on in the spiritual realm. In the book of Hebrews, the Bible tells us that the physical temple is a picture of the spiritual temple. And what goes on here on earth is a picture of what's going on in the heavenlies. Our tribulation, the trouble that we go through, what is it? It's a token or a picture of the great tribulation that's coming on those that disobey God, that don't obey Him, that don't obey the gospel. Look with me. Here's the good news. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. <clears throat> We're talking about adversity. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. So what is Paul telling these people at Thessalonica that are suffering from the Lord? You know what righteousness is? You know what is righteous for God to do? These people that are troubling you? Here's what God says. I am going to trouble them. That's pretty cool. I, like, I love revenge movies. You know? And this is the ultimate in revenge. Because look at how he does it. Verse 6 again. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many times are you watching the news and you're saying, how much worse can it get? How can these people continue doing this? How can they keep... It's okay. There is a God in heaven. You know, every time I see a coach that's not allowed to pray at a ball game or a, or a valedictorian that's not allowed to use the Word of God or to pray in Jesus' name, or we have chaplains on military uh, cemeteries that are getting in trouble for praying in Jesus' name in Houston, Texas. And you watch that stuff, and one woman is telling these chaplains they can't use Jesus' name because it's government ground, and that's separation of church and state. Can I tell you something? There is a righteous God who is going to come. And if that lady doesn't repent and obey the gospel, she's going to get hers. Amen? She is going to get hers. Now, I know sometimes there are, some, there are some people in a church service and I say something like this and they're thinking, well, Brother Jim, that's not very merciful. I always love these people who have more mercy than God. Because the Bible says it is a righteous thing for God. Is that what it says? To recompense he is going to repay these people for that. I'm just saying, you go, God! Yeah! Amen. I am for God. How many of you, you're thinking of somebody right now that's messed with the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're thinking, buddy, you just wait. Now, the flip side of that is those of us who have loved ones, are persecuting us because of the faith. We need to pray that God saves them. We need to pray that they obey the gospel. And I hope you notice that, obey the gospel. That is so important. We must understand that it is disobedience to trust in anything other than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for your eternal life. And God will judge them for that. Um, well, rest... So there's a, there's a reflection. As I look at what's going on and I think about the price that I'm paying, that's nothing compared to the price that the enemies of God are going to pay. But then, I want us to look at this rest. There's a rest and a requirement in adversity. 
And look what it says in verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed. That millennial rest that's coming, we're going to rest with Him for a thousand years. How many of you could use about a thousand years of rest right now? <laughs> yeah. Amen. That's coming. Praise God for that. But there's a requirement here also. There's a requirement. Verse 7 again. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus Christ shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He has come to be glorified in His saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you is believed in that day. This is such an important thing for us to understand. Not only do we get to rest, but something is going to be required of those who know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we go out and we're giving the gospel and we're trying to take a stand and live a godly and a holy life, when we face persecution and opposition, we need to understand this is a spiritual battle and we win. Amen? But remember how we are supposed to fight. We're supposed to fight as a team and we're supposed to fight in faith and in charity and in patience, not in anger and in malice not with our fists, not trying to gain our place in the world. Why? Because the weapons are our war, of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual, to the pulling down of strongholds. Amen? Our battle is a spiritual battle, and we fight it with spiritual tools, and our weapon is the Word of God. We've got to understand the way that we fight. Rest in requirement in adversity. Well, what's the result of our obedience? It, as leaders, as we're trying to grow in the Lord, and that's who, that's who Paul's writing to here, what's the result of it? Well, look at verse 12. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, and ye in Him. We will be glorified in Him according to the grace of our Lord, or, or the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. By grace! By grace, as we submit to Him, as we unite with our brothers and sisters in Christ in obedience to His plan for this age, the New Testament church, as we grow in adversity and faith, charity, and patience, as we do this, understanding that we don't have to defend ourselves. I love that. Uh, let's look at last verse, Exodus 14, 14. Such a good verse for us to remember in this time. And there have been times in my life where I've not remembered this, and it's got me in trouble. Exodus 14, 14. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. When you feel like you've got to fight to defend yourself, let God be the one that fights for you. Amen? There's at least three of you. When you feel like you need to defend yourself, not His Word, when you feel like you need to defend yourself, be still, remembering that God will fight for you. Amen? What's the result of that? Peace. It's peace. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Help us to grow in.